Welcome to Enlighten Me on WERALP 96.7 FM in Arlington. I'm your host, Andrea Cambrin. We've got a great show for you today on this afternoon. It it was really cold this morning. But uh, today on the show, author Alejandro Danois talks to me about his latest project, Tracing the Lives of the 8182 Boys Basketball Team in Baltimore. You may have heard of them, the Dunbar Poets, a team that produced five future NBA stars. We'll talk about their determination to be the greatest and the coach who helped them along the way. So that is next on WERA LP at 96.7 FM in Arlington. You are listening to Enlighten Me, and I am your host, Andrea Cambron. Ooh, child, things are going to get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. You are listening to WERA LP 96.7 FM in Arlington. This is Enlighten Me, and I am your host, Andrea Cambron. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. So I don't really talk a lot about sports uh, on the show, but every once in a while, a book or an author or a topic will interest me. And, you know, I'll say to myself, well, why not? So today on our program, we have Alejandro Danois. He is the author of The Boys of Dunbar, a story of love, hope and basketball. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alejandro. Andrea, thank you so much for having me. It's my honor and privilege to be here with you. Thank you. So this book, to me, has me intrigued on so many levels. For one, tell us a little bit about the book and what interests you in choosing the 1980 basketball team in Baltimore. Well, the story is about perhaps the greatest high school basketball team of all time. They Mm -hmm. sent uh, four players into the NBA uh, most prominent probably being the five foot three inch athletic uh, dynamo Tyrone Muggsy Bogues, mm-hmm. who was a revolutionary basketball talent, and that you know he was the shortest player ever in the history of the NBA. Yeah, and he could dominate a game without scoring a point. So he kind of expanded one's mental capacity in terms of thinking about basketball, mm-hmm. how you could be effective, how you could lead and how such a wonderful player could impact a game in ways that many people had not seen before. So you had these four guys that made it to the NBA, but you also had this greater story about this wonderful mentor and coach by the name of Bob Wade, Mm -hmm. who was a product of Dunbar High School himself a generation earlier. He earned a college scholarship to play football, went on to play in the National Football League for the Washington Redskins, for the Baltimore Colts, the Denver Broncos, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he was committed to this idea of coming back to this community, East Baltimore, that he was from, to make a positive difference, because at the time, the community was really struggling. In terms of how I became interested in this, it actually harkens back to around the same time that this team is playing in the early 1980s, I had a basketball court behind my building in Brooklyn, New York, and my buddies and I spent uh, an inordinate amount of time out there (laughs) either playing, arguing, debating basketball topics. And as 12-year-old arrogant New Yorkers tend to be, we were loud and wrong about how New York is so great, and we're talking about the great Dr. J, and our favorite player was Bernard King with the New York Knicks, and 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and all of these great players that come from New York, teenagers a little bit older than us that we were fascinated by, like Dwayne the Pearl Washington and Chris mm-hmm. Mullen and Walter Berry. And an older neighbor who lived in my building said, yeah, you know, New York, we're, we're the king of basketball, but the greatest team I ever saw was a high school team from Baltimore called Dunbar. Mm-hmm. And so that really intrigued us. Because, you know, we're watching Magic Johnson playing for the Lakers and Larry Bird playing for the Celtics and Dr. J playing for the Sixers. And we're like, this is the greatest team you ever saw. And he goes on to tell us that practically every player on the bench is going to play major Division One basketball and that they have the number one player in the country by the name of Reggie Williams, who is at six foot seven, a marvel to behold. There's nothing he can do or cannot do mm-hmm. on a basketball court. And he tells us, wait till you get a load of this guy when you see him in college. And he says, but he's not even the best player on his own team. And so we said, well, how could the number one player in the country not be the best player on his own team? So we started bugging him and said, well, who's the best player? And he said, you guys are not going to believe me. And so we kept pressing it, and he said, the best player is a five-foot midget named Bugsy. He called him Bugsy. Uh-huh. And we thought he was lying to us. We thought he was joking. And it wasn't until a couple of years later I'm watching this new cable television network with this innovative idea of 24-hour sports programming that I see a five foot 3 inch point guard by the name of Tyrone Muggsy Bogues playing at Wake Forest University. And I screamed to no one in particular, that's Bugsy. Yeah. And so the roots really kind of started then, and, um, you know, it's always been marinating. And, you know, fast forward years later when I merged my passion for the written word with uh, my unhealthy obsession with basketball and sports, (laughs) I decided this was a story I wanted to tell. Each of those players, I mean, they did. They went on to do amazing things in the NBA. You know, again, I would remember Muggsy Bogues when I was a kid looking at like, whoa, this guy is 5'3". He's my size and and he can run the court better than most of them. I mean, it was he was just amazing. Reggie Williams, David Wingate and Reggie Lewis. I mean, the four players that made that team great, that made that team unstoppable. Talk a little bit about their journeys. Well, when you look at Muggsy, we're looking at perhaps the most revolutionary basketball talent we've seen. There's a player by the name of Michael Jordan who everyone kind of believes is the greatest player of all time. That's up for debate, but he is among, you know, he's in that discussion. We've already seen a reasonable facsimile of Michael Jordan and a guy by the name of Kobe Bryant. I, I, I will have to we'll stop see, you on uh, that one. As a Chicago Bulls fan and as a as a person from Illinois, we might want to leave this topic for another day. But I understand your point. Yes. Yeah, I'm just mean stylistically. You <laughs> no, know, I got gotcha, you. Like, I got gotcha. wow, He copied Jordan. <laughs> no one can copy what Muggsy did. Yeah. And we won't see another player like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a one man fast break. You know, he could alter the course of a game with his defense. I mean, he was just a phenomenal once-in-a-lifetime kind of talent. Yeah. You had Reggie Williams, again, you know, the number one high school player in the country. And, you know, how good was Reggie at an early age? As a freshman at Georgetown University, he was the most outstanding player in the Final Four that helped to deliver Coach John Thompson's only national championship at Mm -hmm. Georgetown. Mm -hmm. And in that final game where they won it all and cut down the nets against a legendary squad from the University of Houston that was nicknamed Phi Slamma Jamma that had future Hall of Famers Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler, Reggie was the most valuable player. He had 19.7 rebounds. And think a few months prior to that, 
this kid was in high school doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, David Wingate was a defensive predator who played 15-plus years in the NBA. He was on that national championship at Georgetown with Reggie Williams. And then Reggie Lewis did not even start for the Dunbar team. Mm-hmm. He goes on to become po- probably the best pro out of all of them and supplants Larry Bird as the captain of the fabled Boston Celtics franchise. Yeah, yeah. In this book, you talk about the coach as well, uh, Coach Wade, who in the 1980-81 season, they had lost three games. But in the 81-82 season, he decided that they would go undefeated. What was the spark that uh, propelled that that 81-82 season forward? Well, the impetus behind that undefeated season was Muggsy Bogues transferring into Dunbar High School. He made all the difference Mm -hmm. because the year prior in those three games that they lost, they were close games. And the team, although they had some very good players, they did not have a true point guard and floor general, Mm -hmm. which was what Muggsy was. And you have to understand that Muggsy's impact on the other guys on the team, it's funny to hear these six, seven guys say, we looked up to Muggsy. Yeah. And it was because the hunger he played with. He had this insatiable appetite to compete and prove himself every time because people often told him he was too small. He couldn't play basketball. He'd never make it. They told him that in high school. They told him that in college. They told him that in the NBA. And so his impact, as you see in the book, and the way he elevated those teams' practices, they Mm -hmm. said, man, if Muggsy can dominate a game with defense – then I can dominate a game with rebounding. The other guy said, well, I can dominate a game with blocking shots. And so it became contagious, the energy that Muggsy brought. Hmm. Like you said, with, with people that are stars in their own right, was there ever a time where they fought with each other over their perceived greatness over the other? Well, there were scuffles in practice early on, and it wasn't really about a selfishness around I'm better than you or I should be taking more shots. There were some neighborhood rivalries built in. So even though they grew up in the same neighborhood, you had these two neighborhood recreation centers where these guys played basketball growing up. One was the Lafayette Courts Housing Projects, and the other was the Cecil Kirk housing projects. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you've got neighborhood bragging rights on the line. We're from Lafayette. We're from Cecil Kirk. And you put all this talent together, and they said during those first few practices, there were scuffles because it was so competitive. They were so intense. Yeah. The returning guys were not trying to give up their minutes. The new guys were trying to prove that they were worthy of wearing that Dunbar jersey. And so it really was about... Um, proving that they belonged as opposed to, I'm the man, I should be getting all the shots. Yeah. They were called the Dunbar Poets. The school was named after Paul Lawrence Dunbar, who was a prolific and very influential African-American poet. So, you know, they'd be playing against the Bears and the Lions and the Tigers, but uh, what you saw from Dunbar was poetry in motion. Watching um, seamless basketball, watching... You know, five players work together so well. To me, is poetry when it works, it works wonderfully, and it, and it's one of those things that that is just amazing to see. Coach Bob Wade got his players to work like that. What impact from the players of of his um, you know, coaching that team? Well, he was like a father figure to those guys who didn't have fathers. 
in their home. And what they were able to see in Coach Wade was, you know, some guys could talk a good game, but Coach Wade played professional sports. He Mm -hmm. played in the NFL. He could not only talk to them about what it was like to be a husband and a father, but they saw that every day in his interactions with his wife and his children. You know, he was a stickler for education. So it wasn't about sports for him. It was about life because he understood that one day that little orange basketball was going to stop bouncing. Mm -hmm. And who were these guys going to be? So he was trying to prepare them to succeed in college. He was preparing them to be husbands, to be fathers, to be employees, to one day own their own businesses, to be leaders. And to witness and hear them talk about him today, Mm -hmm. you still sense this wonder and just how much he means to them in their own individual journeys. He recently retired, but uh, you talk about the impact that he had. I mean, he went on to have multiple uh, players of his go on to have scholarships and, you know, continue their life. I mean, just have a positive impact on uh, people whose circumstances weren't necessarily positive. Exactly. I mean, he coached over 100 athletes at Dunbar that um, were given um, college scholarships. Yeah. Yeah. How did the success of the team impact the community? You know, that was one of the most fascinating things. And before really digging into the research, I thought I was writing a book about basketball, Andrea. Yeah. And I came to realize that it's a basketball story that really isn't about basketball at at all. Hmm. You know, it's about this wonderful community in East Baltimore that's struggling at the time. It's about love. It's about hope. It's about mentorship. Um You know, Dunbar High School was very much a community institution like the very strong African-American churches in the community. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that was it was a rallying point. It was a place of pride. It was where people kind of gathered. It was where people, you know, puffed their chests out. And you have to understand that at the time in the early 80s, there were two really negative forces that were laying siege to the community. You had the loss of the union and and blue-collar wage. Mm -hmm. Baltimore was one of these cities um, that was considered one of the promised lands, and it was a land where millions of people during the Great Northern Migration came to when they left the tobacco fields Mm -hmm. and the, the cotton fields and the agrarian economy down south and the racial powder keg down south in search of something better. And they were able to find work, albeit very dangerous work, in the Bethlehem steel mills and the iron foundries and the car factories uh, that were running three shifts a day. And so they were able to purchase their homes and dream of sending their kids to college and Mm -hmm. envision a better life for the next generation. By the time Muggsy and Reggie and these guys come along, that union wage has disappeared. The A&P supermarkets are closing their stores. Mm. Bethlehem Steel is laying off hundreds of people. The General Motors plant is laying off a whole bunch of folks. And so the community's struggling. People are losing their jobs. People who could afford to left to go out to the county because the crime was increasing. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you had this plague of crack cocaine and cocaine in general that just came in and ravaged this community. So within all of this, you had this wonderful team creating basketball to a level of art almost. And so for those two hours, it was the cheapest entertainment ticket 
in Baltimore, and you could go into that gym and be inspired by this majestic poetry that these kids were creating with a basketball. And for you know, for that little time, you could forget that the rent was late, mm. that the, the the gas and electric might get turned off, that yeah. you didn't know how you were going to get to the grocery store. Yeah. Those issues that you, that you talked about in Baltimore of, of unions and, and uh, laid, off of laid off workers, that issue still exists. And I wonder, as you were talking, is there something in Baltimore in present day that would help the community in the same sense that, that the Dunbar poets helped the community back in the 80s? You know, I'm not so certain, you know, because... I mean, not on that were, level, were, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were just... Um, the the connections were so fervent because, mm-hmm. you know, their parents, their cousins, their aunts and uncles. And when I talk about family, like, Bob Wade knew their families before they were born. Wow, right? yeah, yeah. They played on the same milk crates in the side alleys when they were kids, when the older players would shoo them off the court and say, you guys are too little, get out of here, we're going to play. Yeah. You know, they ate at the same dinner tables before they showed a hint of promise. They were roller skating around the community together, throwing footballs, playing baseball, just being little kids before anyone knew yeah. that Reggie Williams would become this great talent, that Muggsy would revolutionize basketball, that Reggie Lewis would go on to be one of the greatest players in college basketball at Northeastern. And so when I look at Baltimore today, I see the pride, right, that the city feels when the Orioles are in the playoffs mm-hmm. or how the city shuts down and stands still every Sunday when the Ravens are playing. Um, you know, I can see some elements in that. But on a micro level, Love, I think yeah. it was so much more powerful when you had these teenagers who did that for East Baltimore. And we're talking with Alejandro uh, Danwa. He is the author of The Boys of Dunbar, A Story of Love, Hope, and Basketball. And, you know, we've been talking about the love and the hope in that community. What were some of the issues that some of the players were going through at that time? Um, well, obviously, you know, the basketball, as beautiful it was, it, it doesn't, you know, take place in a vacuum. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things about the book that I was really excited about was, you know, it takes you inside the homes and inside the apartments and you get to see kind of some of the struggles. You know, Muggsy's dad was uh, incarcerated at the uh, federal facility at Jessup. And, you know, as little kids, they thought he was a stevedore unloading the massive cargo ships at the harbor. And that was, you know, a job that he had. But he was also involved in the the criminal element, and that caught up to him. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a scene in there where, you know, Reggie Williams said he never thought of himself as poor because he always had food to eat and didn't really kind of realize how negative and the things around the community were because mm-hmm. his mom was such a wonderful role model to him mm-hmm. and provided such a nurturing atmosphere. And one day, you know, she just walks into his room while he's watching Soul Train and she just breaks down in tears and is telling him, like, she doesn't know how she's going to make it, that, that things have just gotten so desperate. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of get a glimpse of, wow, these guys were phenomenal. You got these slam dunks and these passes and 8,500 people crammed into a gym to watch these kids play. But you also get to kind of witness these guys at home 
and what they have to deal with and the struggles that they're dealing with yeah. beyond the, the lights that later came when they were in college in the NBA. Yeah. Do the players ever come back to give back to the community that, that served them so well? They do. You know, um, Bob Wade recently retired as the head of athletics of the Baltimore City Public School System. And the gym was packed with uh, many, many former players mm-hmm. who made the trip from, you know, close and, and far alike just to be there and to talk about what he meant. Um, one of the players from the 82-83 team, Herman Harid, his nickname is Tree. Uh, he, he was called Helicopter when he was a star player at Syracuse. Um, he is now one of not only the best coaches in Baltimore, he's considered one of the best high school coaches in the country, and he coaches at Lake Clifton, which is, you know, ironically one of the uh, rival Rival. schools of Dunbar (laughs) in East Baltimore. But there are a lot of those guys that are still holding that flame of excellence aloft in their own ways, whether it be Muggsy, who was coaching in Charlotte, whether it be Reggie Williams, who was coaching in the D.C. area, who now Mm -hmm. runs his own basketball academy. Um, A lot of those guys are still giving back to the sport that means so much to them. Yeah, yeah. What was uh was there any story that, you know, surprised you the most out of out of out of uh the four players? Um, you know, there was a story that um in the book about Bob Wade when they go on the uh trip to Erie, Pennsylvania to play a road game against a, a team uh, in Pennsylvania that mm-hmm. harkens back kind of to his childhood and relationship with his father that was very powerful. There's a story of uh, a very harrowing incident that happens to Muggsy when he's five years old that really kind of propels him into this mindset that nothing can stop him. You know, another one was from a you know a character in the book who he's relatively minor in the book, but he's huge in terms of Baltimore basketball, and his name is Mr. Leon Howard. Mm. He taught Muggsy and Reggie how to play at the at the recreation center, and I found a direct link from uh, 1891 in Springfield, Massachusetts, when Dr. James Naismith invented basketball at the YMCA training school. Oh, wow. All the way through the ghetto of East Baltimore in the Lafayette Courts Recreation Center. Whoa. And Mr. Leon Howard had no idea that he was connected to the game's womb. But as I put the pieces together, it kind of knocked me off my feet and said, wow, these guys were connected to the beginnings of basketball. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. The Boys of Dunbar, a story of love, hope, and basketball. Alejandro uh, Danois, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate the insight. So please, guys, go check it out uh, and get the book. Where can we get it from? You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Target. You can get it at Walmart. You can get it at any major retailer. If it's not at your neighborhood bookstore, just tell them you want it there. And you can also go on Amazon and many other online outlets and purchase it. The story of the 81... Uh, 82 Baltimore Dunbar uh, Poets team Uh, they went undefeated that season but it is a story about so much more really appreciate you joining me today on uh, WERA on Enlighten Me Uh, so Alejandro thank you so much for joining me today it was my pleasure and I'm honored to be here thank you so much alrighty this is WERA-FM in Arlington, Virginia you're listening to Enlighten Me I'm your host Andrea Cameron we'll be right back after this Funding for WERA is provided by Rust Insurance Agency, LLC, a locally owned independent insurance agency since 1889. For more information, visit rustinsurance.com.